What will supply chains look like in the future? How have logistics operations changed in Ukraine? And increasing activity on East Coast ports. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and simulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. Find out more at sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the importance of supply chains continue to be felt in our world, and really it's the people behind the supply chains that make them work. But what will that work and work in general be like in the future? To discuss that, I spoke recently with futurist and author Ian Kahn of the Futuracy Group. Here now is our discussion. Welcome, Ian. It's great to have you with us on Logistics Matters. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's a pleasure. First of all, to begin with, what is the Futuracy? Uh, so, Dave, uh, over the years, we've specialized in uh, in consulting for future readiness. And at Futuracy Group, we're all about education about the future, emerging technologies, and really helping organizations across the board become more future ready. Will work be different in the future than it is today? So I have to I have to backtrack a little bit. So for us, work is about doing things, accomplishing things. For many people, it's about accomplishing tasks. And for so many others, it's you know creative work, thinking work. So there's so many different types of work. Within uh, the, the logistics industry, within the industry that we're talking about right now, supply chain, a lot of work is, is manual. It's about moving goods from one place to the other. It's also about creative work, thinking work, you know, back office work. And so what is happening right now is work across the board is changing. Different types of work is, are changing. Automation is taking over some work. Uh, and there's still many roles that are not changing. That'll stay the way uh, they are. So, you know, we, we keep on hearing a lot about what technology is doing and the transformation it's creating. But we also have to then ask, what part of jobs is it changing? What part of our roles is it changing? Is it changing the, the repetitive tasks? or the creative task, the, the physical manual labor task, or some other type of task. Um, to answer your question, the future is definitely changing how we do things because of many different innovative and uh, uh, innovative uh, techniques and technologies that are coming through. And we are seeing a shift in many jobs that are now being automated, robotics are here, um, and, uh, and there's some exciting things coming down the pipeline. So I think the next 10, 15 to 20 years could be a little bit different from, from the present day. You've, you've talked and you write about technology all the time. What are some of those most influential aspects of technology that will affect supply chain jobs? Uh, I think there's a lot happening in technology in general, but unless we don't work on these technologies, create those first use cases, make sure that these technologies actually solve industry problems, uh, none of them will work, right? So right now we're hearing a lot about artificial intelligence and how it will change the way repetitive tasks are done and there's no need for human intervention. Great, I love the idea, 
but let's have a proof of that. Let's let's actually make the lives of workers better and uh, and more uh, more efficient. Um, there's of course robotics, autonomous cars, autonomous trucks, self-driving trucks. Now that part of the industry is also exciting, and uh, the, the the trucking staff, the the folks and professionals who are on the road can get some kind of a break. Maybe they they work on shorter routes, they work on uh, different routing strategies. Um, so that's a promising technology that can help the industry become more efficient uh, and deal with the lag times and and other delays that. Uh, that are impacted, but but that conversation is much bigger than just having self-driving cars on the roads. We need the right infrastructure. We need the right transportation system to work on the roads of the nation in order for that to be successful. We then have blockchain technology that can can fundamentally alter the way payments are made, the way industries are uh, paying their vendors. Uh, and the challenge of a lot of funds and money being stuck in escrow where it's just waiting to be paid out to someone. And so technology such as blockchain can change that, but we still need to have those initial use cases. Somebody's got to be the first one to, to make you know to implement uh, one of these technologies and, and go forward. A lot of it is happening right now, and I feel we're in the process of, of just doing the early um, investigation and early findings of these technologies to prove them uh, and to prove that they work. You mentioned how jobs are going to be changing in the future and obviously influenced by technology. So with these change in jobs, and, and they range from the executive level on down to the worker in the warehouse and the guy who drives the trucks or the person who drives the trucks, are our colleges, universities, and technical schools actually properly preparing students for the jobs of the future? And I guess we also add high schools in there as well. Of course. I think they are partially preparing students of the future, but the challenge also for schools, universities, colleges, training institutes is that technology is changing more is changing more rapidly than curriculums can change. And unfortunately, uh, universities and educational institutions cannot change their curriculum every six months. So we kind of have to uh, pay close attention to what are the bigger bigger trends that are changing industry. And if you see something is changing something big times, then I believe um, educational institutions need to do a better job at training uh, the younger generation or the workforce. Right now, I think there is a need for improvement uh, about emerging technologies, how these technologies work. And it's not about just teaching people how jobs are changing, but also how they can use these technologies to their benefit, how their jobs will can get easier, how their jobs can get more efficient, and how they can contribute more value uh, to the economy, to the industry, and to their employers. Does the next generation of students have the same expectations of work as today's employees, and or do they need to acquire different kinds of skills to be able to do the jobs of the future? So if we look at the past, we were living in a, in a very um, manual, mechanized world where uh, initially, a technology just moved things. Technology such as steam engine, electricity, automation, it was all about moving things from one place to the other. Uh, we've then gone into automation where now large factories were able to produce goods and they were able to produce them at a rapid pace uh, and we were able to ship them, transport them and so on. We're living more in, a, in, a, in the era of cognitive technologies where a lot of um, efficiency is now being put into jobs and work because of how technology is able to eliminate human error, 
it's enable it's enabling faster processing of something uh, produce more widgets per hour and so on and so forth and so technology today is much different uh, in many ways than it was say 20 30 or 50 years ago so the definition of what it can do has changed people who are in the workforce today who've been working for you know 10 20 30 50 years have have a completely different relationship with their work as compared to kids who are in school right now and who will be in the workforce five or ten years uh, from now their skill sets are going to be different because the world they operate in and the world they live in and work in is going to be driven by different parameters than it was in the past so in some ways uh, there's definitely differences but there's of course similarities as well but i feel there's more differences rather than similarities the future workforce has to be more um, uh, in tune with uh, technology they already are right uh, you see kids and in the younger generation dealing with technology really well so I feel the future jobs are going to be less less hands-on and more creative more cognitive more control other things and control other devices rather than just make them work yourself so that kind of uh, aspect is definitely emerging fast are there other skills that they'll need beyond what you just talked about I believe at the end of the day, we all are human. We need the skills to communicate. We need the skills to work with other people. We need the skills to understand complexity. Uh, one of the most popular jobs today is, is that of a data scientist or uh, someone who can understand data and understand information, despite the fact that we have a huge amount of data that technologies such as big data uh, and databases are generating today. Uh, but we still need, need people who can make sense of such things and such complexities. So specialization definitely towards the data side is uh, is a hot commodity right now. And I believe it'll be a good place for job seekers to look for jobs within the industry. Um, communication, PR, uh, any channel that makes that happen is great. Sales is always a good uh, role to play because you're the rainmaker and salespeople will always be in demand. And so there's definitely um, uh, jobs that still will have a huge demand, the tools they might use would be different. Uh, and these professionals of the future may use a lot of technology to get their jobs done, but the role will be the same. So a lot happening, uh, and it's, it's you know, we know the general direction we're headed in uh, is, is, of course, specialization. And to really um, keep on upskilling yourself, Don't, do not stop and think that you've had a certain training and you're done with it and you've got it all. No, you've got to constantly keep on learning, and there's a tremendous amount of resources available out there today. Very good. One of the things that you've been dealing with is the is whether or not companies are ready for all of this, and you promote something called the Future of Readiness Score. Can you describe what that is and how it can help employers prepare for tomorrow's workforce? Yeah, of course. So the Future Readiness Score is a metric that helps organizations understand how future ready they are, how disruption proof their organization, their business is. And it's really a metric that can help you track your progress of future readiness year on year. Uh, we look at 175 data points that are generated through uh, a Q&A style uh, survey. And uh, all the answers that are in there uh, are weighted and we can derive a score out of that. That, that is really, a KPI for your organization to chase. I really believe it's 
one of the key parameters, key metrics that anybody should be looking at right now because future readiness is something that makes your business and organization profitable uh, and so it shouldn't be taken lightly. It's an, it's an assessment that we offer. We've been talking with Ian Kahn. He's a technology writer and futurist and also the founder of The Futuracy. Thank you, Ian, for being with us today. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week on how logistics operations have changed in Ukraine during the Russian invasion. Can you share some details? Sure thing, Dave. Uh, we've all seen headlines in recent months about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we've seen some various signs of how that violence has disrupted the flow of usually certain bulk goods. Uh, we've seen disruptions, of course, in oil, uh, coming through the region, uh, also grain, which is uh, one of Ukraine's most important exports. Uh, but this week we got some more details about how logistics professionals are continuing to work in the country despite the disruptions of the war. What happened is that Logistics Plus, they're a third-party logistics provider, a 3PL located in Erie, Pennsylvania, they acquired a Ukrainian freight forwarding and logistics firm. That firm is called Concord Trans. Uh, it was founded back in 2012. They have offices in Kiev and Odessa. Uh, in a lot of ways, Concord Trans is like a lot of other companies we cover at the magazine. Uh, they have expertise in road freight, sea freight, customs clearance, and air delivery. Uh, and from Logistics Plus's point of view, the acquisition also sounded like a typical thing that we cover. The, company is now expanding its footprint in Ukraine. Since they already had an office in the country, uh, they had about 50 employees in a city called Ivano Frankivsk, pardon my pronunciation. That existing site had primarily served as an outsourcing office that uh, performed business intelligence type of tasks. Uh, so by adding the dozen or so employees from Concord Trans, now Logistics Plus uh, has a hand in moving physical freight. So uh, from a lot of ways, it sounds like a typical business deal. Right. Um, but the Russian-Ukraine war must be having an impact on those businesses, right? Yeah, exactly, Dave. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance to talk with Yuri Ostapak. Uh, he is the COO for Logistics Plus, and he is a Ukraine-born U.S. citizen himself. So uh, Yuri said that while all the employees to date of, uh, of Logistics Plus who work in Ukraine have been physically safe and unharmed, uh, the daily business they do has changed enormously. So he said, there's still a lot of logistics going on in the country, but the type of goods has changed abruptly. Uh, so specifically, shipments of consumer goods and retail items have slowed dramatically, while demand has soared for critical infrastructure materials, such as generators and transformers. Uh, those are needed to repair the country's battered electrical grid. Also, uh, other changes is that many Western companies actually pulled out of Ukraine in the early days of the war. And a lot of Ukrainian uh, companies and their customers have since shut down. So combined, it makes it hard to arrange transportation and delivery like they used to do in peaceful times. So with that context, Logistics Plus said that they plan to use their new capabilities to help for the time being, mostly with urgent humanitarian and medical aid while the Russian invasion continues. And then in the longer term, they want to be part of rebuilding plans uh, when that's possible. So we should add here that Logistics Plus had already been active in helping people in the area. Uh, the company had been using its U.S. warehouses to stock and containerize humanitarian goods. 
and then they would ship those to a site in Poland where they could be dispersed locally. Uh, Logistics Bus also had established a charity for Ukrainian refugees, uh, which has raised several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, but th those details of the acquisition uh, really tell a story of some of the challenges they face there. Yeah, I think all very well, worthwhile efforts, and they really just show how much uh, generosity there is in our industry. Thanks, Ben. That's the truth. Yep, it was inspiring. And Victoria, you wrote this week about a lot of activity at the East Coast ports. What can you tell us? Yeah, that's right, Dave. So um, really, it comes down to a sort of fears of increased supply chain congestion along the West Coast are really helping to shift cargo flow east. Um, and logistics companies are responding with services that are designed to help manage the flow of rising volumes. Uh, this week, uh, drayage service provider Container Port Group announced the expansion of its trucking capacity with the launch of a division called Bristol Transportation which will provide drayage services in three markets, Chicago, Charleston, South Carolina, and Savannah, Georgia. And it's all in an effort to address rising import volumes along the East and Gulf Coast, actually, according to company leaders. Uh, in a press release detailing the service, company president Joey Palmer said that adding capacity in these uh, three strategic locations will help the company cater to what he called a shift that they're seeing in diverting cargo away from the West Coast and pushing volume volumes up in the East and Gulf Coasts. Uh, the new drayage business has 40 trucks on the road serving customers in those markets, and the company said it expects to add more capacity and facilities in the months ahead. Now, this follows news from last week, uh, tracking the increased flow from West to East. Logistics software provider Project 44 released a report on July 6th showing that congestion was really building along the East Coast, which they said is believed to be largely due to rerouted shipments. There were um, something like 34 ships waiting at Savannah as of July 6, for example, according to their report. And the data also showed that last month, um, the combined average TEU capacity, which is a measure of cargo capacity for New York and Savannah was already more than 80% higher compared to June of 2021 and 177% compared to June of 2020. So clearly um, much busier uh, there along the uh, East Coast. I actually checked with Project 44 yesterday for an update and they didn't have anything more recent than the July 6th report, um, but we'll um, keep tabs on that. The same is happening along the Gulf Coast. I also spoke to uh, Spencer Shute, who's a senior consultant at procurement and supply chain consulting firm Proxima. And he said that ports in that region have seen considerable year-over-year -year volume increases as uh, shippers have already begun to divert cargo there. He said he expects those increases to continue and that Proxima is working with its clients to help them manage those rerouted shipments, providing more visibility into where cargo is, when it will arrive, and reporting delays and so forth. Yeah, it does seem to be a trend with more business coming to the East Coast and the Gulf ports. Um, what's the most recent data you've heard on the East Coast ports? Yeah, there were some uh, um, reports on that this week as well. As one example, uh, officials at the Port of Virginia said total volume through the port hit a record level for its fiscal year ended June 30th. Uh, volume was up 15% compared to a year ago. They also said that imports were up 10% in June alone. South Carolina ports posted similar gains for fiscal year 2022. Um, they said uh, there was a 12% increase in cargo volume for the year, and they noted that imports were up 22% year over year. 
The Port of New York and New Jersey posted cargo volume statistics this week as well. Their report was from May, which is the most recent data they have available. And it showed that imports from January through May were up 12% compared to the same period a year ago. Um, and the port also posted its uh, second busiest month on record in May, with total volume through the port up 6%. Um, I should say it's busy all over, of course, um, and we'll keep tracking this, especially as peak season preparations get underway this summer. Yep, it does seem like they're keeping very busy. It'll be interesting to follow. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Ian Kahn for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. We have a new series of programs now focusing on supply chain digitization, so be sure to check that out. Again, subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated On The Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.